Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Asian Madness Podcast. A podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hi all, and welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. One more episode and I'm halfway through 100, and it'll also be the fifth Urban Legend episode. As much as I want to do more research and write more episodes, other aspects of my life tend to get in the way, so I apologize for that. But if you have been sticking around for my stories, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. With all that coronavirus scare going on lately, I do hope you all stay safe and take precautions. Okay, that's enough heartfelt convo for the day. Now on to today's episode. So this case I stumbled upon by accident. It's not really a recent case, so many of you may have already heard about it. But then again, it doesn't seem like it was widely reported on, so... Unless you watched this episode on Unsolved Mysteries... Although it was never confirmed what happened to the victim of this story, it is clear that she disappeared one night after a party and just never showed up. Eventually, things began to unravel, and the possible timeline and story was created for her, but in the end, no one can completely confirm the details, and the only one that could tell the story is still missing, very possibly dead. This is the disappearance of Hyunjun Cindy Song. Let's begin. Hyunjong Song, also known as Cindy Song, was born on February 25, 1980. She was born and raised in South Korea, but moved to the United States when she was 15 years old to live with her aunt and uncle. She attended high school in the state of Virginia and pretty much had a great time. I would assume she felt she had more freedom living away from her immediate family. Although it's a stereotype, it doesn't mean it's not true. Asian parents can get pretty intense when it comes to schoolwork and all that. But despite her newfound freedom, she was still known to be a hard worker and did very well in school. After graduating high school, she went on to study art at Penn State University. She made friends easily, and again, she was a dedicated student because she was actually very interested in her major, which, which would probably make studying a lot less painful. Aside from her schoolwork, she was also working two different jobs. So basically, she seemed to be handling life very well in every aspect. Then came Halloween night, 2001. Cindy was 21, a senior at Penn State. Like most young people, 
Halloween is a night where you get your weird on and go to parties, gatherings, bars, whatever you deem as exciting for the night. That's exactly what Cindy and her friends did. Cindy and her two friends, Stacy and Lisa, decided to go to a costume party at a club called Players Nightclub, located in the area known as State College, which is also where Penn State University is located. When you do a quick search of Cindy, a lot of the images that show up on Google show her from that night, where she's dressed as a bunny. She had the furry bunny ears, a pink shirt with a bunny logo, a white skirt, and a bunny tail, and boots. It was simple, but it was a cute costume. So the three friends had fun and partied till the club closed at around 2am. Then they got into their car and drove to another friend's house where they stayed for another hour or so playing video games and whatnot. You know, young people stuff. Well, it got late, people got tired, and eventually the group decided to head on home for the night. Stacy drove Cindy back to her apartment, which she shared with another roommate. But the roommate had been away for a few days, so it was just her in the apartment. Stacy drove off before she could see if Cindy made it inside her apartment. I suppose some people have a habit of not leaving until the person dropped off is safe indoors. But then again, it was late. I would assume Stacy was pretty tired and wanted to get back to her apartment as well. Plus, it was a university area and was supposedly safe. I don't think she was expecting anything to happen anyway, nor would it have made a difference, as we'll see later on. Either way, this would be the last time anyone spoke to or saw Cindy Song. Question. Would you guys freak out if you didn't hear from a close friend for, say, two or three days? I guess in this day and age, we don't necessarily have to message each other constantly to know if someone is still there or not. There are other ways to find out, such as checking to see if they posted on social media, or when they were last online, or other borderline stalker things with the help of the internet. The thing is, after dropping Cindy off, neither of her friends heard from her for the next couple days. It was not necessarily weird, considering they all had stuff to do and schoolwork to complete, but it was strange that she wasn't even responding on her mobile phone. Cindy's roommate, who had been away, returned to the apartment on November 1st, pretty much hours after Cindy supposedly arrived home from her Halloween party. She saw Cindy's items in the apartment, but no sign of Cindy. She probably didn't find it weird either, assuming she was either in class or hanging out with friends or working one of her jobs. It's really difficult to keep track of friends like this. And usually, you wouldn't assume the worst. But it turns out, Cindy failed to show up to one of her part-time jobs, which was very unlike her. So that was actually concerning. Finally, on November 4th, 2001, Cindy's friends realized something had to be really wrong. They went to the police and reported her missing. The police went to Cindy's apartment and began looking for clues as to what could have happened. Back on November 1st, when the roommate returned, they did not notice anything out of the ordinary, and neither did the police. It was clear that Cindy had actually arrived home that night after partying, as the bag she had with her that night was inside the apartment, along with her phone. She had worn fake eyelashes that night to the party, and those eyelashes were found in the bathroom counter. From what investigators could gather, 
Cindy most definitely arrived home, left her items, took off her eyelashes, and left the apartment, most likely to go down to the 24-hour convenience store nearby, as she was known to go there whenever she needed anything. Her purse was missing, which was set to contain her keys, her ID, and her money and credit cards. It seemed like the most likely scenario. She gets home after a night of drinking, realizes hmm, she's maybe hungry, or she needed something rather urgently. So she was like, well, the store is right down the street, so why not? Done it a million times. It's fine. The security cameras in the convenience store were useless, as they had already been taped over. So there was no way to tell if she had even made it there that night. Police also wondered if someone could have possibly contacted her, asking to meet up, and she decided to pop out for a minute. They did get her mobile phone, and after checking her records, it showed no incoming, no outgoing, no new messages after she returned to her apartment. None of her emails were suspicious either. So this theory was quickly ruled out. It also was unlikely anyone broke into her apartment as the door lock was fine and nothing inside was messed with. But could she have let someone in and maybe left with them willingly? Maybe. But it's the same idea as the convenience store run. She leaves her apartment and somewhere along the way, she disappears and is never seen again. Police also did a search of the nearby wooded area, but came up empty-handed. The police had zero leads that indicated foul play, so they had to dig even deeper. They read her diary and discovered that she had been experimenting with drugs. They speculated that drugs could have been involved in her disappearance. But then again, come on. You kids that went to college, or even those that didn't. How many of you can honestly tell me you did not experiment with drugs in your 20s? I mean, like... Weed, cocaine, ecstasy. Even if you didn't, I bet you thought about it. That, to me, doesn't really mean anything. Then, police discovered that she went through a breakup earlier that year, which seemed to have been pretty devastating to her. I mean, again, most breakups can be slightly devastating, right? But it wasn't exactly super recent. And according to her friends, she seemed to have moved on from that and had even sought therapy and taken medication for her own well-being. In other words, Cindy seemed as responsible as they come. Of course, just because she was seeing a therapist and taking meds doesn't mean she couldn't have had a moment of overwhelming sadness and made a rash decision. The point is to not just focus on one aspect, but also understand that someone could have done something to her. Cindy's family members flew to the U.S. from South Korea, and of course they were completely shattered over her disappearance. Unfortunately, though, the Song family was eventually banned from Cindy's apartment, as they were seen as interfering with police work by doing some deep cleaning of the apartment destroying any potential evidence that could help with the investigation. I personally think this could be a misunderstanding, but I don't know. Lead investigator in the case, Brian Sprinkle, stated that solving the case was for Cindy's sake and not the family. That sounds really harsh, but apparently the Song family and the police were not getting along. Since there was very little the police could do at this point, 
They started asking the public to call in if they had seen a woman matching Cindy's description, offering a reward of $27,000 U.S. dollars. A rather promising lead came in a few days later, but unfortunately it didn't lead anywhere, as the witness was deemed unreliable. A woman claimed that she had seen someone matching Cindy's description around Chinatown, which is almost 200 miles away from where Cindy lives. The woman was in a vehicle and appeared to be distressed and calling for help. But as the woman tried to get a better look, a man showed up and basically told her to quote-unquote get lost. Very suspicious. Despite having a lead, it was impossible to track this vehicle down as they didn't have the license plate number, but the woman did give the police a rough description of the man she saw. They made a sketch of the man, but no one was able to identify him. As you can imagine with cases like these, the trail went cold and at this point, everyone was just hoping she would turn up or if someone was involved, they would fess up. Then, a few years later in 2003, a miracle that everyone had hoped for suddenly came about. It wasn't a clear-cut miracle, but it was one nonetheless. A man by the name of Paul Weekly was arrested in June 2003 for felony burglary, and while he was arrested, he began to tell a wild tale to the detectives, probably hoping to get on their good side and maybe reduce his charges. But here's the story according to his manifesto, which, mind you, it's 10 pages. I'm just going to summarize it because ain't nobody got time for that. It may also seem like I'm going off track from Cindy's case, but I promise you it'll make sense in the end. So, back in 1995 or 1996, Paul Weekly, who was working at a dental lab in the U.S. penitentiary in Lewisburg, met a man named Hugo Selensky. Selensky was the new guy in prison and Weekly got him hired, so the two began working in prison together. They became friends and were part of the same friend group. Zelensky didn't last long at his job and was soon terminated, but the two remained friends in prison. Zelensky was released in early 2001, but the two friends had plans to reunite the following year when Weekly would be set free. They wanted to start a marijuana growing operation, and after Weekly was also released in March of 2002, he joined Zelensky and his girlfriend Tina. Via Selensky, Weekly met new friends, specifically a man named Michael Kukrowski. Kukrowski was a pharmacist, but was also doing shady business with Selensky. Not surprisingly, Kukrowski was also in trouble with the law and was possibly facing prison time. Due to personal reasons, such as buying a house with money he didn't have, Selensky was in dire need of money. After several attempts, he finally managed to convince Paul Weekly that Kukrowski was hoarding millions of dollars at home and they could totally devise a plan to kill him and make it seem like he ran off to avoid getting arrested. Terrible plan, but what do I know? The two decided to kill him on May 3rd, 2002. They went over to his house that afternoon, but to their surprise, Kukrowski's girlfriend, Tammy, was also there. The two men said hello and pretended that they were there to have a nice chat. So that's what the four of them did at the kitchen table. They talked shit, drank beers, and Kukrowski showed off his gun collection. 
After an hour or so, the two men had to put their plan into action. So Selinsky pulled out his gun, pointed it at Kukrowski and Tammy, ordering them to get on the ground. At first, it felt like it was a joke, as they were drinking beers and having a good time, but soon they realized he was serious, so they did as they were told. Weakly used the flex ties he brought to cuff both their wrists and ankles. They took Tammy upstairs and laid her on the bed, then took Kukrowski down to the basement, where a safe was located. They then demanded that he open the safe for them, and that they were only there for the money. Kukrowski explained that it was a two-person safe, that he needed his father there to open it with him. The two men did not believe his story, and thus began a cycle of violence. Every time he said he couldn't open it, they would either beat him or strangle him with a flex tie. Eventually, Kukrowski told them about money hidden elsewhere in the basement, and the two men retrieved a total of 60000 U.S. dollars. They still weren't satisfied and continued asking about the safe. In the end, Kukrowski suffered a fatal head wound and died in the basement. The safe was never opened. Zelensky went upstairs to, quote-unquote, take care of Tammy while Weekly stayed in the basement taking care of Kukrowski. Once they had finished cleaning up the crime scene, they loaded the two bodies into Weekly's car. Weekly went straight home with the bodies and Zelensky just told him that he would find a way back himself. During the following days, the two men would discuss what to do with the bodies in the car. They drove through the back mountain area, along roads, and eventually decided to bury the bodies under the new home that Zelensky bought, with the money he didn't have. So that's what they did. After the bodies were buried, Weekly went to get his car cleaned out and burned all the remaining items he had brought with him to the murder scene. The End So, Jessica, what's that got to do with Cindy? Well, this man Paul Weekly then told police that both Hugo Solinsky and Michael Kukrowski were involved with the abduction and murder of a young Asian woman in State College. Remember, Cindy disappeared in 2001, and Paul Weekly wasn't released till 2002. So technically speaking, there is no way he was involved in her abduction. But could he be lying about this part? Were those two men really involved? So here's his account of what happened to Cindy. No, he didn't know her name, nor has he seen her in person, so everything he was telling the police was basically a second-hand account. According to his story that he learned from Zelensky, the two men were driving around the State College area in the early morning of November 1st, 2001, when they spotted a young Asian woman walking down the street wearing a bunny costume. Zelensky thought she was a prostitute, and he was said to have an attraction to, quote, young oriental girls. So he took her from the streets with the help of Kukrowski. The two men then locked her in his home for several days, where she was sexually assaulted, then left to die. Paul Weekly eventually led the police to Zelensky's property, the one he bought in 2002, and to their horror and surprise, they ended up discovering more than 10 bodies all around the property, including the bodies of Michael Kukrowski and his girlfriend Tammy. Cindy, though, was not one of the bodies discovered, which to me makes sense. 
If you remember correctly, Cindy was abducted in 2001, and if Paul Weekly's account was accurate, she most likely died that same year. Selensky's new property was purchased in the year 2002, so unless he kept her body around and then moved her to that property more than half a year after he killed her? You see what I mean? Either she was buried in his old property or she was dumped somewhere else because he didn't know where to bury her. That's my take on the timeline anyway. But then Paul had to go and change his story, throwing investigators off and kind of hitting pause on this whole lead. Remember when I told you that Zelensky and Weekly killed Kukrowski over money? Well, he later changed his story and said that Kukrowski had kept Cindy's bunny ears as a souvenir after her death, which angered Zelensky, as it was a potential risk. It angered him enough to kill Kukrowski. I don't know. Sounds really petty. But then again, Zelensky seems like the type of guy who would do anything to shut somebody up. Another red flag showed up when police investigators looked into Paul Weekly's internet search history. Prior to his arrest and testimony, he had been aggressively looking up information regarding Cindy's song, which made some people believe that he was putting a story together to get his pal arrested, when in fact, Zelensky may have nothing to do with Cindy's disappearance. Sure, Zelensky is probably a giant piece of shit, but it's also not helpful to pin an unrelated murder on him especially when people are trying to find out what happened to Cindy. Zelensky was eventually arrested in 2003 for a violent robbery. For this specific crime, he was sentenced to 65 years in prison. He managed to escape the county lockup in 2003, but was apprehended again. Zelensky went through various trials. In 2006, he was on trial for the murder of two drug dealers, but was later cleared of it. And in his 2011 trial for the murders of Kukrowski and Tammy, he represented himself. I guess that didn't work out for him, as he didn't get off. He was convicted of two counts of murder in 2015 and was sentenced to life in prison, narrowly escaping the death penalty. He initially argued that his lawyer was ineffective in the robbery case, but the court disagreed with him. Dude! You robbed someone violently. Just deal with it. During his trial, though, his daughters and sisters all spoke up for him, stating how he was a family man, loving, intelligent, and all that other stuff. Okay, yeah, I guess these qualities aren't exactly mutually exclusive. With being a murderer and an asshole, he can be kind with his family, but... He's a huge dickhead when it comes to others. Plus, if he really loved his family and wanted to be with them, wouldn't you try to stay out of prison? Maybe he was intelligent, but clearly not intelligent enough. Paul Weekly pleaded guilty in 2008 and was spared of his other charges, including burglary and child pornography. He also avoided the death penalty but could also receive reduced charges for his contribution to the Solensky case. As of the moment, both men are serving out their life sentences. Solensky attempted to appeal his sentence, but thank God he was denied. He actually did end up confessing to his involvement in abducting Cindy Song, confirming Weekly's account of mistaking her for a prostitute, but insisted that Kukrowski was the one who killed her and dumped her body. As we know... 
Michael Kukrowski, a dead man, cannot corroborate neither Paul Weekly or Hugo Zelensky's claims. Quite convenient, I would say. Some speculate that Zelensky is lying about Cindy's song, maybe to get attention or hoping to get a deal for giving an extra confession. Murderers have been known to do this. Also, if you look at all the people Zelensky killed over the years, they were all either for financial purposes or drug-related. What would even be his motive to kill someone like Cindy? Of course, could just be that he had an urge and she was a wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. Zelensky remains the main suspect for Cindy's disappearance, but till this day, he could not be charged for her disappearance or murder. Maybe until her body is when they discovered, could they possibly find a way to link it back to him, or to the person who was actually responsible. So, on to other tidbits about this case. As I mentioned in the beginning, Cindy's case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. The episode is called Without a Song, and was first aired in 2002, almost a year after her disappearance. It was supposedly the lead detective Brian Sprinkle's idea to contact Unsolved Mysteries, as he had no leads and no evidence of suicide or foul play. Maybe by getting the word out, he would be able to find someone who knew something. As for what I said earlier about the tense relationship between the police and Cindy's family, Cindy's family members also accused the police of not doing enough to help locate Cindy, accusing them of wanting to pin her disappearance as a suicide just so they could close the case. I don't know. I get there might be differences between the two sides, but I want to believe that they want the same end goal, to find out what happened to Cindy. The initial investigation for Cindy's disappearance only consisted of one detective, but after several protests... It was increased to six. Last tidbit. So, Zelensky had at least two daughters, both of whom insisted their father was kind, loving, blah blah blah. Sorry if that sounded rude, but come on. Anyway, one of his daughters, Rachel McEwen, told the press during her father's trial that she believed he was innocent. Quote, It's a lose-lose situation no matter what. No matter what happens, it's already a losing situation. My heart goes out to the families of the victim, but we're the victims too, and that's what people need to realize. End quote. Do you agree with her statement? To an extent, yes. His kids are innocent and all this, but their dad is not. I would like to believe that people would be willing to separate the two. He is a great father to you, maybe, but look at what he did to other people. What about the family members of those he killed? Sure, killing or locking Solensky up for life may not bring back the victims, but at least he wouldn't be out there harming other people, and it could give the victim's family a form of closure. In May of 2019, Rachel McEwen was involved in a car accident on Interstate 81. The car lost control, hit a guardrail, and rolled over many times, ejecting both Rachel and the driver from the car. The two were pronounced dead at the scene. As for Selensky's other daughter, Jamie Bartu, she was charged for assaulting her fiancé during an altercation in 2018. So, there you have it. The disappearance and possible murder of a young woman. It's scary to think that 19 years later we still have no idea where she is, what happened to her, 
or if the alleged killers actually killed her. We pretty much know nothing. I agree that all the testimony Paul Weekly and Hugo Solensky gave can be considered pretty suspicious. I do hope Cindy's family is doing okay, but knowing that their daughter is still missing is probably not great. Hopefully one day, though, she will turn up. And sorry to be a bit of a pessimist, but I highly doubt she's still alive. Maybe once we find her, assuming she's deceased, her remains could paint a better picture of what happened that Halloween night. Thank you all for tuning in again, and please stay safe out there. Don't be a jerk, and don't kidnap people. Oh, and on another note, please do your part by washing your hands, staying away from crowds, and avoid highly infected areas. Coronavirus is a thing, and if you look at the news, we know that it's spreading everywhere. I just want you all to be safe, and I will do my best to stay safe. We will get through this. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com.